Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, with your other host, Richard Geiger. Welcome, everybody. We are ecstatic to be back with you today in the land of the six, uh, six-foot separation. Uh, <laughs> we have a friend that is uh, significantly farther separated with us today. We have Delvin Cox, our good friend, on. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Fabulous. Yeah, uh, this just... is interesting times. <laughs> well, we're keeping we're keeping um, calm. We're keeping busy and uh, keeping distracted from the uh, the cluster that uh, everything seems to be uh, mired in right now. So. This episode is going to be pretty simple. Normally, we uh, have a little three segments, and it's just me and my good friend, but we're going to have all three of us on the three segments. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about what Delvin's been up to down in the southern part of the United States and what he's been keeping busy with in the in the realm of talking into microphones. And then we are going to uh, discuss one of our favorite subjects, which is music, and more specifically, the music of our youth. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, like our teens and, you know, 20s, what kind of was there. But we're going to talk about what was our formative music. What was really the beginning of what got us into music to begin with. And uh, then we will cap it off with a continuation through the history of comic book movies in the year of 2008, Hellboy 2. So I think the real question is, do, do we do our listeners know what a, um, a record is? Oh, <laughs> we have so much good, good stuff to talk to them about that. That's going to make us feel old and them feel confused. I'm sure. I will say super confused. They know what a record is because <laughs> those are being still used. Yeah. Cassettes. They may not know. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. So, Delvin, man, what's been going on in your neck of the woods with podcasting? What you been up to? Boy, I'll tell you. If you want to get guests for your podcast, all you need is to have a pandemic happen. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that, too. What, what, like, right now, a lot of folks have a lot of time on their hands. And ordinarily, if you ask them, hey, do you want to spend time, 30 minutes, and, and have a chat with us? Is that okay? Most of the time they're going to be like, nah, I don't have that time right now. But right now, whole different ballgame. Yeah, I am extremely busy because I've been doing so many podcasts because this, now is the time to strike. Like, I will say this to you guys as fellow podcasters and friends. If there's any celebrity that you ever want to get on your podcast, now is the time to shoot your shot. Yeah, I've been <laughs> working. they will hear you out. I've been I've been I've been working, not getting a lot of hits so far, but I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm working it. I tend to be the the guy that swings for the swings for the fences and then ends up flat on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this: I've swung for the fences on a couple of them. I've gotten actual responses and actual conversations. So, ooh, nice. That's that's the encouraging thing. Yeah, I've heard from some agents. I will say that. Yeah. Wow, nice. The land of the ages. Yeah, also. Any, any 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 highlights? Well, this month, if you're a Delvin Cox Experience listener, 
for my 30th, 40th birthday, the roast of Delvin Cox came out. Ooh. Ooh. Hey, now. Now, which is very interesting, to say the least. What does it take to be a follower of Delvin Cox? Just go on any of your podcast apps, type in the Delvin Cox experience, and I'm there. I'm on everything like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Any way you listen to podcasts, just check it out. It's right there. And the roast, if you like roast, this is a good one. The uh, what about the uh, social medias? Oh, Devil underscore Cox on Twitter. I'm on face on Instagram and Devil underscore Cox too. Facebook, I don't care about. I'm on there, but I don't give a damn about Facebook. Yeah, I, <laughs> I uninstalled it from my phone just recently. Uh, somebody posted, it's like, yeah, did you notice with the most recent update that uh, Facebook granted itself access to all of your stuff? And I said, no, that can't be real. And I looked and it says, yep, we have access to your camera. We have access to all these applications. And all. So I didn't, I turned it off on purpose and it turned itself back on. So it's like, fine, I just won't use you. Bye. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing now that I know that. That's not happening. I barely use it as it is. And a lot of, half the time when I get on Facebook, Facebook seems to be the only app that actually annoys me. Yeah. Like Twitter. I mean- I don't get annoyed by it because Twitter talk is Twitter talk. People say what they're going to say on Twitter. Right. Facebook, a lot of times, is people who you know, and they're not hiding behind, like, Twitter avatars or stuff like that. So when you see some of the silly things they say, you're like, okay, yeah, you kind of mean that. So let me just not listen to this at all. Fake Facebook is for your high school reunion. It's for people selling the absolute ridiculous most worthless nonsense on the the, the yard sale yeah. and that it's for um, advertisers. And that's really about it too. But super popular with the 65-year-olds and up. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, I don't need to use this app. <laughs> when I see my mom and my grandma on there talking to their friends and trying to ring me in the conversation, I'm like, nope, I'm okay. I'm I don't need to hear this. Yeah. But I, I have to say, there, there's the, I have gotten the occasional just fun moments because there's, there's a handful of people that I really admire. And you have to, th- I have to think at least that, you know, there's the, as a celebrity, you're just bombarded with, you know, information, people wanting to, wanting to talk to you, wanting to be seen more than anything else by the person that they admire making whatever it is. And so when when you do get that little moment, uh it's it's always just kind of uh kind of fun. Have you managed to have any of those little thrills, Delvin, in, in the in the recent memory, just trying to shout out to somebody and actually got a response? I don't know. I wanna say yeah, but I've had so many different ones as of late. Almost like I don't even remember them. Like <laughs> I've been like, for example, I'm, I'm on another podcast now. Hmm. That's a wrestling podcast. Ooh, nice. Yeah. And um, so I end up getting a guest on it who, if you guys like wrestling um, and listen to the pod, wrestling podcast, to be specific, and you know who Conrad Thompson is. Yeah. Um, I got on Matt Coon. Hmm. Who does the music for all their podcasts and stuff like that? And he's doing a podcast for Vince Russo and quite a few other people. So I had him on the wrestling nice. podcast. 
quite a few other people. It's been interesting to say the least. So okay. Well, uh, I was I was gonna say you're you're right in a certain aspect when you're looking for maybe that recognition, maybe that shout out from whatever it is. Um, Facebook's like a different channel right now. But if you do some of the other ones, uh, I think Twitter has a little bit more of a certain following to it. Instagram has more of a following when you get that acknowledgement. Um, that, 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 that piece back where it says, hey, I like this video or yes, I enjoyed this clip that you put on there. But you're right. When, when, you, when you said before Facebook, like, I don't care about that. It's just interesting how that has it's interesting how that has changed. It's interesting who gets their news from Facebook. It's interesting who follows and posts things on Facebook and the difference in age and generation and interest level for all of those types of things between all the social media, especially now. Yeah, and I've learned that a lot of things on Facebook are not factual. Not even yeah. close uh, to factual. Yeah. 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 I will ignore everything on Facebook that, that states pretty much anything. Uh, I will pay attention to the occasional meme just because it's funny, hopefully funny anyway, some occasional family posts. But even then, family's often there to love and not necessarily to like. <laughs> so so I, so I just kind of nod and smile and everything's great. But uh, oh, I tell you what, one person that I would love to get on at some point that I have on occasion gotten a response from on Twitter uh, just because he's one of my favorite dudes. Because it seems like you know mm-hmm. we're talking right now, we're friends, and yeah. this we, we uh, even if even if we weren't uh, separated by hundreds of miles, I can see you as somebody that I would you know have a drink with, uh, play games with, you know whatever, hang out with, and this guy kind of seems like that, and that's that's Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, just uh, Freddie Prince. He's he's that he's got that uh, wrestling cred. He's got because he did the the writing for the WWE, and uh, he's he's had some great work, and he's a huge board gamer. It's like that's me if I were successful. Games. <laughs> yeah, he was just on the New Day podcast talking about that. Yeah, it was very interesting to hear him talk about all that type of stuff in his career at WWE, and it was cool. I, I love Freddie Prince Jr. I like the fact that um, we don't know this. He's, he was um, one of the main characters of Star Wars Rebels. And I love Star Wars Rebels. Star Wars Rebels is excellent. Yep. And his character is amazing. Kanan is an awesome character that I wish we would have saw the uh, Star Wars movies. Wow, he does I'm, Kanan? I guess I never yeah. paid attention to that. Ah, yeah, that character's Kanan. cool. He goes through a very big change of art. All, yeah, yeah, he's cool. I like that character. And, and speaking of Star Wars, did you see the news that we're finally going to get a live action Ahsoka? Really? Yes. Um, yes. Gosh, who is the actress again? Rosario Dawson. Oh gosh, yes. I will in watch the, her in, in the Mandalorian season season two. Maybe she could make um, Star Wars I, good. And season three so. has already been um, extended. Ah, Look at you. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Season ah. three has already been extended. They said she's going to be in the Mandalorian season two, and they're going to do a Ahsoka TV series. That's cool. So that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, that's that's a fun character. Yeah. Okay. No, I got to ask this. I this uh, I thought of this when you're talking about now that you're on a wrestling podcast, and I've been intending to ask somebody about this 
anyway, uh, you, you've been paying attention to the changes that have happened. Not, not, I'm not talking about with the virus. This is before the whole virus thing. But the uh, addition of AEW, have you watched any of that? I watch AEW every week. Okay. Is it any good? Well, it, I, I would say it's really good. It is really I, good. I it's say, a great alternative. You, you've got a really uh, big connection to that because it's based like the headquarters, the the owner of Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, That's correct. His son is the person who kind of runs that whole thing. So you've got that Florida connection with that brand. That is correct. He runs the whole thing, and it's sta- in is stationed in Atlanta. That's his home base, if I'm correct. Uh, that wouldn't be surprised. Somewhere down because there. Uh, yep. they were TNT. Yeah, so it's kind of like having WCW back almost. So I stopped watching WWE a number of years ago just because the storylines were getting stale. Um, they hadn't done anything new what is aew doing right that the wwe is doing wrong that's one thing i think they're using their talent better i feel like they are doing wrestling but in a little bit of a different way than wwe is doing it and it makes it matter like for example one of the things i always like about aew thus far is the fact that they don't really have disqualifications like every time they're gonna have a big name match, whether it's John Moxley who is Dean Ambrose in WWE versus Chris Jericho, you're gonna get a, a decisive winner and a loser, and they keep records of the of the who won and who lost. By the way, so you like anytime a match is gonna start, you see like um, Cody Rhodes is nine and two in uh-huh. one. He may have a tie or draw, so you know. So when you see him getting a title shot, you know why he's getting a title shot. He's been on like a seven-match win streak or uh, something like that, so he deserves a title shot. There's no out-of-the-question weird reasons why he's getting a title shot because he's just who he is. They make they make it make sense, and I well, like that aspect of it. A little more feeling of realism so you can suspend your disbelief a little bit better. Yes. Nice. And there's, there's silly elements of it that, that are kind of fun. Like they have Matt Hardy there, and he's doing his broken Matt Hardy gimmick and stuff, which is fun. And Chris Jericho's being Chris Jericho, and he's kind of added another layer to his character. And he has his own group called the Inner Circle with, with a bunch of young talent that's really good. Like I enjoy AEW quite a bit. Well, I was going to say, Jericho's to the, to the point in his career where he can act as a mentor really, to a bunch of younger talent and get them where they need to be so that the next stage of the business can can thrive. Yeah, and I feel like he's doing that now. And also, he was the first AEW champion. And the funny thing about that was they would say that he is the youngest AEW champion in history. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true that's <laughs> excellent that is that is a lot of fun um I, I, I was always torn personally so the 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 thing with chris jericho for me is he's one of the best talkers ever i mean it, he he understands how to cut a promo he can work a crowd um be able to bring up the game of whoever it is that he's talking with but 
His moveset bored me to tears whenever I had to watch him wrestle. It's not a lack of talent because he definitely had it, but it's like, okay, so you had that. When he started, he had the lion salt, which was yes. meh at best. And so he goes, okay, let's let's switch this up and switched it to the lion tamer, right? So the lion tamer, uh, for those that are not familiar with wrestling, is a modified Boston crab. Uh, now, the Boston yes. Crab is where you grab the legs of the other person while they are laying on their back, and then you flip them over and sit on their back. That's the normal Boston Crab. But the original uh, Lion Tamer, instead of sitting on the back, he would keep them semi-upright and put a knee in the back of the, of the shoulders. Looked super yeah. painful. Looked great. And then any time I've seen it more recently, it's been the lamer, regular Boston Crab version. It's which been is, a Boston Crab, yeah. Yeah, it's just not great. Then he went to the Codebreaker. Codebreaker, solid move, right? I, I liked that. And then just kind of, eh. But his, well, his intermediate yeah. moves are just, uh, it never really made me go, wow, this guy is just amazing. He didn't have that kind of high flying. He didn't have the striking. He definitely didn't have the 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 six foot eight size and the muscle mass. He was just kind of okay. But couple that you're gonna hate his finisher move. What's his new one? It's called the Judas Effect, and it's just an elbow to the face. Oh my lord! Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I've always he he seems like he's. And, and this is relative speaking, and this is not um, all out speaking, but he seems like he's very well spoken. He seems like yes. he's very intelligent. He's Definitely, got a good yeah. history of a lot of things, uh, whether, whether it's wrestling, whether it's music. I, 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 I can't – a lot of subjects, sports. He's very well spoken. He, he, he's a good face of the franchise. But you're mm-hmm. right. In terms of maybe that, that physical set, he, he's not – on par with the others, but he's a good, he's a good upfront spokesperson face of the franchise. Yes, I agree. Uh, I, I will say this. If you're interested, Ken, yeah. I want you to check out two characters. Okay. One, his name is Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy, all right. His whole gimmick is, is that he pretends to be too lazy or uninterested in wrestling. So a lot of times he just where he wrestles with his hands in his pocket. I think I've seen a small snippet of video of this guy. It was super entertaining. It shouldn't have been, but yes. it was. It's so weird and unique, and it's so funny because he like he wrestles with his hands in his pocket. <laughs> and one of the funniest things he does is like he'll come in the room, come come in the ring, and. He'll, like you know how wrestlers do the kicks and stuff to the, the knees and stuff like that. Right. He'll just he'll just like do a soft kick, <laughs> and he'll keep kicking you. And, 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 and it, it clearly doesn't hurt the person. So they're looking at you like they're, they're so confused. Like what, what are you doing? And he just does it again. <laughs> then he does it again. Then he backs up like he's gonna do a super kick. <laughs> he just does it again. Then he just kicks himself again. Yeah. <laughs> he is delightful. I definitely have to see a full match with him then. Yeah, he's and he's really he's a really good wrestler. And on the other side of things, there's a wrestler that AEW has called MJF. Okay, not familiar with that one. He is essentially an unfiltered version of the Miz. Really? 
Because I, I was really surprised how good The Miz was when he came on the scene, and I liked him a lot. Still do. Yeah, he's, a, he's a good wrestler, but he is crash, abrasive. He has a talent for being a great heel in terms of, like, rallying people up. Like, he, he literally goes on TV and calls someone. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. <laughs> he had a feud with DDP recently. Excellent. And he wore to the ring a shirt that said, I slept with DDP's daughter. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's Wait, rough. Now, doesn't everybody kind of have some type of some type of feud with DDP, though? Like, is this a common thing? <laughs> what, somebody said they slept with his daughter? No. <laughs> that's not, no, not that. Thing. Not that. Now, that's shades of Rick Rude almost there. I remember back in the day when he would have his tights with uh, like Ultimate Warrior's wife <laughs> on it yes. or something like that. Yeah. Also, check out MJF's Twitter page. Yeah. He does not care. He talks to fans any kind of way he wants to. And there's one thing that happened on there a while back where he was at a convention. Yeah. And his whole thing is anytime a kid wants to take a picture with him, he'll take the picture with the kid while sticking his middle finger at the kid. That's who that was. Okay. I did see that. <laughs> like it. So he's got a memory forever. Daddy, what does that mean? Oh, I'll explain later. Yeah. It means if you're number one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of number one, the number one place to go for information for Everybody Loves Pudding is probably our Twitter page. Uh, Real Pudding Guys is all you need to know. And if you want to get pictures of uh, vodka and grass, you can go to our Instagram. Okay, let me rephrase that. Vodka and wait, grass. Wait, 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 wait. Grass wait. cutting. Yeah, clarify that one. Grass cutting. Wait. <laughs> yes, grass cutting. There's a difference. At, at Putting Guys on Instagram and on Facebook. Though, as you might have uh, discovered from earlier in the podcast, I may not be checking Facebook quite so uh, regularly. Uh, <laughs> and of course you can find us at Patreon, uh, at putting guys for just $1 a month. You can help support the putting guys in our quest to become better and better and get neater and neater stuff and neater and neater people to talk to and neater and neater piles of paper next to my equipment that won't catch fire. <sighs> yes. Speaking of, right, if I'm correct, I'm a patron, so yes, I, I'm a patron, you should hair. be a patron. Yeah, Delvin is oh, Delvin yeah. is the is the man. What, what's your Patreon? That's a good question. Oh, my Patreon is Delvin Cox Experience. That's you right. Check it out on Delvin Cox Experience Patreon.com. It's a whole bunch of stuff on there. Like if you like podcasts, that's the spot to go. And you get stuff what that you don't get anywhere else on that, right? Yeah. Exclusive podcasts. Yeah. You don't get anywhere else. So it's a bunch of stuff on there that it's really good and interesting. Like um not to go on the subject we're talking about later on in this episode, but we have, I have an episode on the Devil Cock Experience that's coming up where we talk about the most influential hip hop albums of the 90s. Ah, there you go. Very nice. Yeah. And it's mm. a really cool conversation where we talk about some of those albums that kind of define that generation of hip hop. So if you're a hip hop fan, you're going to love that episode. Oh. Yeah, I'll yeah, definitely have to hear that one. There, for sure. Uh, I was more Plus of a, I, connection. I, I was more of an East Coast guy. I, I like I like Biggie a little more like Tupac. But uh He's on there. Speaking of music, 
and formative things. We were we were talking about uh, some of the music that kind of influenced us. And as, as we mentioned, we have talked on this podcast several times about especially the grunge scene. But we were already kind of formed at that time to a certain extent of what we were going to like and what we were not going to like because we had that foundation of music that we were exposed to when we were younger. So we were hoping to just kind of explore a little bit of what kind of was what pushed us in the directions that we went. So, so Delvin, we were, we were talking about this. We're all kind of in the same, a similar age group. When you were young, what was the, the music that, that really appealed to you and, and how? Cassette okay. tape music, <laughs> vinyl music. <laughs> okay, going back to my youth, I grew up in the 80s in terms of like I was a kid during the 80s. So the first music I was usually hearing was R&B soul music and that kind of either that or that hard rock music like Bruce Springsteen or something like that. I specifically remember like listening to a lot of Anita Baker because I was a big Anita Baker fan as a kid. Very nice. Nice. Because my mom, that's what she listened to a lot. And that was her music, her generation. So I listened to a lot of Anita Baker. Um, on Sundays, you know, Gospel Sundays, she played stuff like Shirley Caesar and stuff like that in BB and CC Whitings. Right. And Ooh. also, I had cousins who were older than me, like in high school, stuff like that. So I would listen to a lot of LL Cool J, Kumo D. Nice. Um, I remember watching like Crush Groove and learning about the Fat Boys and, um, <laughs> For fat boys, I stuff like that. Them. Fat boys, Run DMC, learning about right. um, Curtis Blow. Curtis Blow, yeah. And also, I I became a big fan of the '80s of Michael Jackson. Like, that was my Ooh. my jam back then. Michael Jackson, in terms of like Thriller, Beat It, all those classic Michael Jackson songs, Off the Walls, a classic album. I, I was like deeply in love with that type of music in terms of um, in the '80s at least. I didn't start hey. listening to stuff like um. Phil Collins and stuff that I also like a lot, like Phil Collins, Van Halen and stuff like that, till the nineties actually. When I got like older and started like what I say junior high school and high school started broadening my horizons and stuff like that. I didn't even get into Nirvana when Nirvana first came out. Like I found out about Nirvana years years later. I was probably like my twenties when I found out about Nirvana. But yeah, I I specifically remember going to stores like Sam Goody's and Specs and stuff and picking Ooh, up Sam Goody. Yeah. All the good stuff, like um, a lot of hip hop, a lot of R and B, a lot of soul stuff, a lot of eighties stuff, like the Eurythmics. R- 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 I can't even say the name now. Riff, R- R- I can't say it. Eurythmics. Oh yeah, there we yeah, go. The Eurythmics. Yes, it's hard one to say. The tongue twister. <laughs> and um, I remember the one of the first videos I like fell in love with during the eighties was um the Aha's Take on Me. Right, that that, that thought it was with classic. Such a visual, stimulating video. I remember so much. I love that song because of that video. It was so cool at the time, and I also fell in love with the. Um, I don't know if you remember this, in the nineties when the Wu Tang came out, right. Ghostface Killer, his first single was uh, Daytona Five Hundred, mm-hmm. which was very similar. Because the whole video was a Speed Racer cartoon. See, I had never seen that video. I'd heard the heard the single, but I'd never actually seen it because you know VH1 would never play it. You have to watch the video. The video is amazing because all the video is 
You don't see Ghostface or any of the members of the Wu-Tang. It's literally a Speed Racer cartoon where all the characters are looking like they're rapping to the song. Hmm. That would be too much fun. So It's really good. What, Go ahead. What, what year was uh, Michael Jackson's uh, Smooth Criminal? What what year? Do you, I want to say Smooth Criminal was in the 90s? I thought that 90s, was like, like, was like 88. I, I would have sworn yeah, it was late 80s. Let me look it up. Cause, because Thriller was 80... Definitely 80s. I'm telling you, if you were a listener and you were younger, you're in your 30s and we're talking about videos because music videos now are like if you watch a uh, old, maybe like a Post Malone video, they're okay and they have their own cinematic thing to them. I'm telling you, man, watch, watch, go, go to Michael Jackson and watch the full nine minute. Like the whole, like the smooth criminal thing. Watch the whole video. And it's just, oh my God. It, it is a, like, the scene, the scene, the scene is what the scene is, but like the dance moves and like the choreography and like, oh my gosh. Like people nowadays and their dance moves and their choreography, they just don't match up to what that video and what it had and how you do things like it's it's on a whole nother level man like that's just like the the scene where he's like his feet are together and he leans forward like at a 45 degree angle and then they pull themselves back it's unreal it's i'm telling you if you haven't watched that video and you like dance moves and you like choreography smooth criminal video is Ridiculous. That's solid. I will go even further and say, watch Michael Jackson Moonwalker. Uh, yeah, he has he, the smooth, smooth criminal video in it. Uh, yeah, oh. it's pretty cheesy. In uh, yeah. <laughs> it's cheesy, yes. but it's fun. It's kind. Of, it's fun in the way that um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is fun. Yeah, I I can agree with that for sure. But I was close. I was one year off, eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah I thought it was like ninety. Yeah, no. That uh, and that that was responsible for one of my favorite covers of all time with Alien Ant Farm redoing that song. And they did they did a great job Absolutely. on it. Great song, the, great job. The, the 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 song itself, like the actual cover, might be better than the original, and that's hard to say. Yeah. It's it's real close. It's yeah, uh, really close. It's definitely that. So your first, what was your first? Actually, this is my. This is my music, my first cassette, my first uh, album, my first whatever. What was the first one you got? The first cassette tape that I bought probably was Boys to Men, Cooley Eye Harmony. Oh, that was such a good one. Yes. I specifically oh. remember getting that one because I loved Motown Philly. Yeah, that. Uh, uh, Ate Easy is probably my favorite one off of that particular album. Yeah. But that that whole thing was good. It's uh, responsible for many great memories and some somewhat embarrassing ones too that I won't get into. But <laughs> well, let me ask you this because I don't know if you guys peruse on Instagram a lot. Have you seen the versus battles that's been going on? Um, what do you know about them? For that I, matter, I have not. Mm, I I would probably say between Ken and I, 
I'll, I'll pay more attention to Instagram than what he will. Definitely. And I've only seen this fair, tiniest, idiot, bittiest little snippet of a, like a versus thing. So nothing in depth. This has been fascinating to say the least because what they've been doing is mainly hip hop artists have been getting together and taking their catalogs and putting what your their catalog against each other to see who has a better catalog and letting people on Instagram vote to see who better. Now, I mentioned this to you guys because one of the ones they just recently had was Babyface versus what is his name? From Black Black Street um, Teddy Riley. Yes. That was on that was on Snoop's Instagram. Yes. That's so a hard choice. For those who don't know, Teddy Riley produced all the songs for the new Jack Swing era. Like all the big songs you could think of, like Janet Soul for Janet Jackson. He produced songs for Michael Jackson, like Jam and all those big hits that that uh, the whole nineties new Jack Swing that people like went so crazy about, Teddy Riley basically made that a thing. And Babyface, Grammy producer. Multiple hits on, on his own, but he's produced yeah. songs for everybody. Oh yeah! So they, they were literally on everybody. They were in terms of like, think, like even like rock songs and just anybody you could think of. Babyface has produced a song for. Yeah, he has a section of highway named after him, not too far from us. Yeah, that, that's just, that says it all right there. It's true. Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, uh, something or other Boulevard. Yeah. Or, I totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. he's boy. That's that's a rough choice. Oh, yeah. So watching that hit was a blast. Like watching them like go with their catalogs. That was really fun to watch. But I, I want to I, I mentioned that because I want to bring this to you guys. Okay, we've been seeing this all on the hip hop R and B soul side. Who from your generation would you want to see battle with catalogs? Hmm. Um. I'd say Don was would be a big one for me, versus um, versus maybe um, I'm I'm spacing spacing the name a black album producer. Um, oh, uh, Rock Bob Bob yeah, Rock Bob Rock. That'd be good. Be really good. I mean, with uh, Don was you've got a lot of. Um, pop and soul and Bonnie Raitt and you know just it's just a ton of classic rock and pop artists and then if you want just solid hard rock uh, but it hit you know he went all over the spectrum too because he had he had a lot he worked yeah, he, with a lot of talent yeah he he didn't just do like metal or rock no. he did a lot of a lot of things still does I think yeah what what I thought of, I thought would be interesting, is you put the catalog of Sting and the Police mm-hmm. against Phil Collins and Genesis. I think Phil Collins is going to win that one pretty pretty handily. I like I like the Police and I like Sting quite a bit. And individually, there are songs by Sting that I like better than any other Phil Collins song. However, he was a more reliable songwriter. You were going to get a song. That's why. That's why that you got Disney songs and stuff out of this dude because he could write anything. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, Je- yeah, Genesis was. This was a good collaboration, and of course, Phil Collins had his own thing. But st- I, I guess I think of Sting, even even to a sense of 
where he did police and he did his own thing, but he was even he was even an actor. So, and that clouds my perception of him a bit and it shouldn't because we're talking about music. We're not talking about the whole picture, but even he did more things. Yeah, it I sounds silly, but he is royalty. Yeah. Now Genesis was an example of the first opening of my eyes that, Oh, people can be in multiple bands. Uh, because, uh, for a while the bassist, uh, to Genesis was also the bassist for, um, um, uh, James yeah. Taylor. Uh, James Taylor, yes. Yeah. He was, wasn't he the one that had like the little, uh, he had these things where you would attach them to your fingertips and they had, it was like a xylophone thing, but like they were attached to the fingertips and he would like, the hardest thing to describe to you what was going on, but like he would basically hit the bass strings right. with xylophone little, little cues. It was, yeah. I don't know what this guy Yeah, that big old beard, and it's like, oh, he's very distinctive. I can't miss that one. Yeah, very distinctive. So what about you, Richard? What was like your first album, tape, whatever? Okay, so we'll, we'll go grand picture here. So if I go to my parents' selection of things, so they had albums, right? So 33s. Um, I, I had a lot, a lot of vinyl too. I had a lot of singles. So growing up, we had singles, right? So A side, B sides. When you hear a lot of B side references, it goes back to vinyl ages where you had one side that had a song. You flip it over. The other side, the B side, had another song as well. And I, I tell you what, we she had a lot of Jay Giles band. Um, my mom had a lot of Jay Giles band. She had a lot of um, Alabama, <laughs> of all bands, um, and a lot of elements. Like th- those were the three things. There was a little bit of Beatles stuck in the middle in there as well too. Uh, and we would listen to. Uh, I remember it clearly. Sunny one hundred one point five, and we go up to South Bend. So we take a road trip up to get groceries and whatnot. Hour there, hour back, and we'd listen to like um, the oldies station. So we, we we'd get a lot of variety of oldies. So I had a lot of variety of those 60s, 70s, 80s bands that I listened to. But when I actually owned albums, and this is this is the weird thing, I had the tape collection, probably every single tape that you can own of Motley Crue. That that doesn't decade of of decades. I had that one for sure. (laughs) Um, I had a one of my favorites. Oh my god, was uh, Billy Idol, but it was Billy Idol, Vital Idol, which was like remixes of all of his popular songs. Oh my gosh, that tape is killer. And if you like Billy Billy Idol at all, Vital Idol is just a killer album to listen to. I definitely remember those. My friends, when growing up in high school, uh, my friends listened to a lot of things. I, I definitely remember one of the first cassette tapes that I actually went out and physically paid my money for was the Metallica Black Album. And that sounds silly, but I had the, the Black Album I had on a cassette tape. I played the crap out of that album, played a lot of it. The first one birthday, 
I asked for a lot of things, but I asked for some CDs. And I got a CD player. And my first three, I got three CDs. And these are very big time albums. Um, we got um, uh, And Justice for All by Metallica. We've got the um, Symphony of Destruction for Megadeth. And then we got um, Guns and Roses. And it's with those three albums that kind of began my journey. I, I listened to, so sorry to, to ramble on here, but like the radio stations that were available in my area. I lived in northern Indiana. There were basically three radio stations I could listen to. U93, which was just pop. All they played was pop, like just the worst pop stuff. But that's the stuff that we listened to. So I was used to the 80s pop scene for sure. Sunny 101.5. Sunny 101.5 was classic. like 70s, classic, 80s, and today. Yeah, yes, soft rock. <laughs> but like not classic rock, classic soft rock. And you could if you if you can, can convince people to do it 88.1 was um a public radio station and it was just talk talk radio but they had some jazz on there as well so i got a little bit of this intermediate nonsense not what i could choose but what i could listen to but for sure the cd's those first 3 cd's that i could get which were metal which were rock were influenced by my friends. I, I, my sister had like um, a lot of 80s hair metal CDs herself. She had ACDC, um, Razor's Edge, for example. So I had a lot of influence from that standpoint. But those first three, and, and just I still have them. They're sitting right over here, like 10 feet away from me. Uh, CDs that I will own, I will listen to. I was listening to some Megadeth today and mowing the lawn because Megadeth is... Ken loves them. It's one of Ken's favorite bands. He um, seems like he's constipated. <laughs> a, a little bit. But um, those those albums for sure were like the gateway. You know, Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way? Oh, man. Oh my gosh, that album was so good, front to back, every song on there. Yeah, and if you look at the awesome. liner notes, and that's something that you can't do right now. If you look at the "Are You Going to Go My Way" liner notes for Lenny Kravitz's album, and you look at all the writing credits on each of those songs, he played the guitar, he played the drums, he played the keyboard, he played like everything on every song on that album. And the pictures had him with like big sacks of weed and like all this weed lay down on the table. And like, <laughs> that's a cool dude with a lot of talent and a lot of songwriting oh. capability and a lot of musical credit. So like, and gosh, that many, and a lot of weed, man. Like, so <laughs> that many crowded album. Are you going to go my way? That's not the first one I got, but that one, when I read the liner notes on that one, and I saw that he played all the instruments on all those songs. I was like, how, how do you do that? How does this make sense? So I had a lot of varied things, but you know, like the golden oldies for sure. And then like the metal and the rock of the late eighties, early nineties were the things that not grunge, 
but like and justice for all was a late 80s album that wasn't a grunge album you know um a lot of those things were were the albums that i was just like you know uh, razor's edge like that's not a that's not a grunge album i don't think that's like a late 80s that's like a late 80s early 90s just like hard rock album those were the things that i just think and 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 trust me my mom has a complete set of country music cds that i can't stand to this day listen to a little and she played country music oh i said alabama (laughs) but like randy travis and um a lot of these other artists that are just in the late 80s were popular and even to this day i would say are tolerable today's country music is just garbage but um non-existent so I a, yeah i had a lot of with some exceptions a lot of yeah there's a lot of exceptions for sure a lot of people today have chris, talent chris they just Stapleton have talent writing garbage it. music so uh, just just a wide variety and like Ken, I know you had a, a a lot of influence. You had a person who was around you who would kind of introduce you into a lot of different types of music. So what what kind of spurred your early early childhood, early music memories? Well, I didn't have friends to influence me. I made it very easy uh, in that regard. <laughs> so I didn't didn't get a lot of other people giving giving me stuff, but. Um, so I'm a little bit older than both of you, just a little bit. So yeah, uh, cassette tapes definitely played into it, but I had access to eight track tapes. Uh, I also Ooh, had nice. access to reel to reel tapes, uh, and, uh, albums. Uh, so, so my dad's music collection was what I listened to early on. So, uh, uh, Beatles, Doobie Brothers, Black Sabbath, um, uh, you know, some small amount of country, I would usually flip through that. But, you know, Night Ranger and, uh, you know, some some late 70s, early 80s, uh, uh, just a lot of, you know, basic rock and roll for the most part, Eagles, you know, that sort of stuff. But when I started really listening to what I wanted to listen to, it was like uh, Moody Blues um, was, was big early on. But my very first thing that was my own was uh, taped by a band called Was Not Was. As, uh, it was called uh, What Up Dog. And it was, it was, it had some pop elements, but it was heavily influenced by, um, heavily influenced by R&B and um, funk. And it was, it was weird. It was really weird in parts. And the weird stuff was great. I mean, it was just super, super memorable to listen to. A song, uh, 11 Miles an Hour, still plays in my mind regularly. Uh, how often can you have an upbeat, catchy song about the Kennedy assassination? Just doesn't happen. Holy crap. Right? So, you know, I had that. That is weird. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember I was stunned when the original Batman movie came out and I heard Prince's um, music from that soundtrack, by the time I got around to you know, being able to ask for it, it's like, I want Prince. And they didn't give me that one. They got me uh, Diamonds and Pearls. 
And I was mad huh? until I listened to it. And I go, this is way better. <laughs> it's just yeah. so good. Um, just uh, so I had a lot of these. Um, Peter Gabriel was huge. Um, the uh, album So was 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 big in my early uh, uh, listening. So so I had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, R and B, a lot of uh, uh, early hip hop. Um, uh, so I mean, you talked about LL Cool J. It's like yeah, I, I remember hearing some of that some of that early stuff, and that 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 really piqued my interest. But truthfully, on the R and B side, the first there were two bands that really that really drew my interest. One was a band called Urban Dance Squad, and they in the '80s had uh, a big hit called "Deeper Shade of Soul," um, that that immediately hooked me because unlike a lot of uh, the the mainstream, there really wasn't a mainstream at that point in terms of hip hop. But what I was hearing, what they were mixing, was not really. There's a lot of beats. It wasn't a lot of interesting music, but uh, Urban Dance Squad was was taking cuts from like '40s, '50s. 60s music and putting in the in the background and combinations of stuff that you just didn't hear anywhere else and they had uh, a lot of really interesting uh, instrumentation uh, that they would put together and then um, De La Soul uh, the first one I got out of there is De La Soul is Dead uh, I uh, Biddy's in the BK Lounge again still just kind of kicks around and around in my brain over and over again uh, but that whole album was just so good. Again, taking the idea of what it meant to be hip hop and twisting it. <laughs> and it's just, it was yeah. really interesting. I agree. I think it was cool that you had artists like De La Soul who did stuff like that in terms of people had this certain, especially around the time when you had stuff like NWA coming out and mm-hmm. Easy and stuff that was so hard and rugged. De La Soul came with something so different and so unique and so inviting, to say the least. Without without changing who they were, without selling out, they were just being genuine. Oh, yeah. And I appreciated that about them. Well, maybe as that was more accessible, too, because, I mean, there's no denying how important, uh, like, NWA was, but they were talking about something I had no experience with, that I couldn't relate to, that I I had to imagine, and there's no way I could imagine what it was and how they and how they were dealing with what they were dealing with. Whereas, it it was it was um, it was just not as approachable. I wasn't emotionally where I needed to be to be able to process that. But uh, having something like De La Soul or um, or or uh, some of the other some of the other earlier rappers that, that I was able to listen to. It's like the, the, the topics, they still talked about things that were of a certain, certain level of social conscientiousness, but they framed it in a way that I could, I could understand that I could relate to. I agree. And I think that's one of the cool things about hip hop in terms of how you really can have music for everybody. If you really look for it, there's, Music for every type of situation. De La Soul is one of those groups that proved that De La Soul, Outkast, there's just so many different levels of hip hop that you can go to. That's just such a creative outlet. Yeah. Now, 
some some of the bigger mainstream ones, you know, and their their names that everybody knows, like Snoop and Dre and Tupac and Biggie. Uh, obviously, those came into prominence. I feel like when we were all younger as well. And in terms of some of the bands, like, you know, I can remember some of the concerts that we went, that I've been to, and a lot of them were all metal and rock and stuff like that. And when Ice Cube was there, when Ice Cube was in some of these things that Ice Cube had no business in being in these concerts, I'm like, oh my gosh, Ice Cube's here. This is awesome. So like those, those influences, uh, I, I think changed our perspective on a lot of music. Our music today is nowhere near the music and the variety and the quality. I personally feel that we had when we were growing up, but a lot of those artists, when we were growing up like Snoop and Dre and Tupac, you know, I feel like I had an appreciation for them. And when you hear certain types of music, According to your taste, you know, I like that, I don't like that, and you make first impressions. You maybe don't make last impressions, but you make first impressions on them. And a lot of those early adopters of that hardcore hip-hop, like a Dre or a Snoop or things like that, like, for me, who is not, I mean, let, let's be honest, I live in the Midwest, I'm pretty sheltered, I don't do anything, like, those things were pretty enjoyable to me. Tupac, for sure. Um, I enjoyed those artists. Little, I collected those 40. albums. I enjoyed listening. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed listening to them. I enjoy listening to them to this day. And I don't think today, and I'm I'm one of those old, like, yeah, I don't think anything today is as good as it was 20 years ago. Like, I still think that those artists had something about them, some air of quality some some means of producing their albums top to bottom that this just isn't matched by a lot of the artists today and 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 that's just a perspective thing i know a lot of artists today have talent i know a lot of artists today create quality music it's just available (laughs) (laughs) yes it's 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 music that i don't like it's music that make a lot of money um there's a lot of YouTube. There's a, some, you know, we have a lot of time on our hands nowadays. There are YouTube videos that I found out there that are six minutes long, seven minutes long, and they show bar graphs, top things from this time to this time. And they show a bar graph of who made the most money or who made the most albums. And it changes from quarter to quarter, year to year, and, 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 and it evolves and stuff like that. And it's really surprising to see over the years the album sales and the money the popularity of some of these bands when you're like oh my gosh that makes sense i understand that and you see some of these people like i don't understand why that person in in the last 10 years like why is Nicki minaj selling more albums than anyone in the world like i don't get it she's pretty good she's good but she is as good as the people were you know 25 years ago well you're looking at it wrong that's though thing. that's that i mean you kind of already said it the the width and breadth of talent is less or at least it appears to be so so when you get somebody that is good people are going to flock to them and in, in, in yeah. numbers and that's that's just yeah. what's happening and i've got these like what 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 you call walleye vision these blinders on 
and I only see a certain type of music and certain style of music, and I and I like that certain type and style of music, and it's the stuff that that I came up with, even during the you know '80s time frame when a band like Slayer, for example, is coming up in popularity, and I like metal and I like heavy music, but I don't like Slayer, and I like like hip hop, but I don't like some of the, like. You know, when I like Snoop and Drake, I don't like Eminem. Like, so there's like, like, what do these things translate to? And why is it that I don't like these things when I should? And that's, I, I think, one of the oddest things about even human nature and why we're so ingrained on the things that when we grew up, when we liked these things, when we had these formative years, as you would call them, why even today I still go back to these same 10, 20, 30 albums that I just can't get away from because they're so good and they're so different and they're so better than anything else that's out, anything else that has been out. It's just the weirdest thing. I can't, com- you can't compare. I think that a part of that is nostalgia and a part of that is um, the fact that that music was just that good is it set the trends that everybody else is following so it almost feels like the stuff that comes out now is just the pale carbon copy of the stuff that we heard in the past that was done so much better but of it's course like i'll give you a perfect example right now everybody is going crazy over the michael jordan doc- documentary ah uh, heck yes and i think that's because us who grew up with michael jordan knows how great he is but this younger generation Kind of sees LeBron James, and we look at LeBron James like, oh, he's good, but he's no Jordan. Yeah. He's no Jordan for sure. He's I, good. Well, I'm, and is it is it a skill thing? I don't know. I mean, LeBron James has got got the skill. Oh, but LeBron James is great. But, but the way that Jordan dunk, carried himself, the way that uh, he presented himself, was kind of a cut above. He had um, dignity. That I don't see in LeBron James. Yeah, I think that plays a part, and I think that um, we got used to seeing the blueprint that is Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan showed us who's the quintessential type of basketball player, and Ruthless. when you see other people doing that, it doesn't feel the same. No. Well, uh, before we get too far and uh, push this off, this is only going to take a couple of minutes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should fast forward the timetable from from our formative years to the year two thousand eight <laughs> and talk about the uh, the release of the uh, sequel to the original Hellboy. Now, uh, unfortunately, our friend uh, Delvin has not been completely uh, um, shown the the wonders of the original Hellboy movies. He's only seen the uh, the remake recently, and you said you loved that one, right? Yes, it's a fantastic <laughs> piece of crap. <laughs> well, this one that came out, um, we uh, between me and uh, and Richard, we have disagreements on the director Guillermo del Toro and what is good. I like Guillermo del Toro. Well, okay, I like. Disagreements on certain aspects of Guillermo del Toro. Right, that's like, what I was saying. Uh, Blade Two, for example, which is his worst is movie. Best that movie, made. best movie he made. Well, no, just good. <laughs> Blade Two is really good. I like Blade Two. Blade Three is 
god awful. It's it's not great. No, but no, I I didn't say that Blade Two was bad. I just said that Blade Two is the worst Guillermo del Toro movie. I don't is think it? different. I don't I think got, you've I seen all his movies. It, no, I, I I doubt I, that seriously. Pez Labyrinth. I'm trying to think of his movies. Well, are you talking about writing, writing, or directing? That's a good question. So I'm going. I'm going to go with directing. So I was thinking in general. Uh, he did Mimic, which was plain. I could could have cared less about that one. Uh, Blade Two was definitely better than Mimic. Um, okay, yeah. Pacific Rim. Debatable. Pacific Rim. I didn't like. I did not like Pacific Rim at all. No, that was way better than Blade Two. That that I movie like was it. a steaming pile, dude. No, no, wait, 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 like I. You're looking at different contexts here. So, is Pacific Rim a great movie? No. no. Is Blade Two a great movie? No. Yes. Is Pacific Rim greater that better than Blade Two? No. Yes. There's a difference here. No. Definitely different. not. I, I don't think it is. I, <laughs> I, I did not like Pacific Rim at all, and I thought I would like that movie. Yeah. You, what about you, Pacific Rim Two? Well, he wasn't. I haven't seen that, that one. Or, yeah. yeah, that one sounds like me. Yeah, but different story. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I I'm a big fan. I like The Shape of Water. That was a fun film. A lot of people were less than less than enamored with that. But uh, I haven't seen that one either because everybody was talking so much about it. I didn't even bother watching that. I thought it was sweet. It was just kind of nice, which is not something you would expect from Guillermo del Toro, which is why I liked it. And. And I'm a boring person, so that movie doesn't pique my interest. So the reason that I kind of bring this up a little bit is there is such a strong tie between Hellboy 2 and the second Blade film in terms of the personnel shared, because it's got the same director, but it also has Ron Perlman in it. Uh, Ron Perlman is Hellboy, but he's also in Blade 2. Um yeah, with the with the, the the chin strap and the really tiny sunglasses, right? And he twirls his, and okay, the pistols with blades built into them, which are awesome, by oh. the way. Which were so awesome that they're really, really bad, just <laughs> so bad. <laughs> but um, the uh, Prince Nuada, Luke Goss, I believe, was also in uh, Blade Two. Yep. So, I mean, there's a lot of carryover with, with the people that were in the two films. Um, but, uh, you know, Doug Jones, who is finding great success with uh, Star Trek Discovery, was in both the original Hellboy and Hellboy 2. Uh, Selma Blair, um, who I love in pretty much anything, who's experiencing, I believe, some difficulties right now. But, uh, um, uh my my affection goes for for her performances in, in nearly anything. Um, you got Seth MacFarlane yep. uh, doing the voice for Johan, which is awesome. Yep. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, who is great in everything, being the kind of curmudgeonly uh, boss. Um, you get to see um, John Hurt briefly because his character's spoilers dead by the second Are, film. Already, already dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, just a, such a really solid grouping in the cast. Um, 
if you are a fan of kind of um, darker fantasy style, um, but gritty, sometimes gritty urban in some some respects, that that combination, this film is perfect uh, to watch, though you definitely want to see the first one first. Thank you. I'll check it out. I, I, I never got into the Hellboy comics. That's, I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't watch it because I never really knew that much about them until the movies came out. I'll tell you what, uh, uh, Mike Mignola uh, is just fantastic. I, I love that dude's work in the comics and seeing that, seeing it adapted originally so well. Um, I I did little little jumps for joy. I was just hoping it was going to be halfway decent. And when they put Ron Perlman, it's like, okay, done. I will watch Ron Perlman in anything. I'm just, uh, I mean, even from back in the Beauty and the Beast days, uh, he was he was he's the man, and I will follow him to to whatever he's on. Like I I, I like the concept. I like Ron Perlman. I don't like Ron Perlman in everything that he does. But I like Ron Perlman in in general. I liked the first one. I didn't mind this second one either, right? Like the 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 little Come on, dance the, of the marketplace. The drinking the marketplace scene is cool. Yeah, but the drinking scene yeah. between uh, between Hellboy and Abe Sapien, where they're they're opining about their love, is <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, like there's a lot of there's a lot of cool things about this and like the big tree, oh, the growth creature right? and like the golden army and like the bad guy, the bad guy is the bad guy and he's wanting to take power from uh, spoiler alert. Devin wants to take back. Uh, he wants power. What son doesn't want power over dad? That type of thing. Like, I get it. Like that, like that, that story don't like, don't expect anything crazy from the storyline in this because the story is, it's not anything special, but you know, the makeup and this, the CGI is fun and the characters get into their parts and like, don't, don't expect this to be like an A plus movie. Don't expect this to be a B movie. Expect this to be a C movie. Right. I don't know. I get at least a B minus. Like it, it, it passes. It passes above a passing grade, right? So, like, don't don't expect this to be an amazing movie. It's not a bad movie. It's a fun movie. If you liked the first one, you'll like this one. Is this one as good as the first one? No. Yeah, maybe not. No. But is this one fun? Yeah. Does it continue the same character trends as the first one? Yeah. So, I does it follow the the comic book origins? I don't know. Yeah, I basically, it's pretty close. I can't close. tell you that. Mm-hmm. But 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 if you're just an outside source and you're watching movies and you got time to kill, who doesn't have time to kill right now? And you got Hellboy, and oh, Hellboy, God. you got it. Four hours. I'm okay with that. Like, spend an hour at a time. Watch the first one two-hour increments, watch the second one, two-hour increments, I think you'll have fun. It's not the most amazing thing that you'll watch. And are there better things to watch? Yes. Um, Seinfeld's on Hulu. Watch episode, you know, season, season not, five. Not better. I watch that all the time on Hulu. Not, oh my not gosh. better. Like, 
you want to see somebody tried with season five and season six. If you want to listen to somebody nasally complain for multiple seasons with with unrealistic scenarios and canned laughter and oh oh that you know Julia, Julia Louis Dreyfus uh, is yes, like the only good point. Yes, <laughs> I love Sunday. Julia. Oh my gosh, season season five is like one through four are good season five it hits its stride and there are so many good episodes in there season six i'm just into that right now it's a little bit more of the same stuff what's the deal with airplane food oh no (laughs) if you if you have hbo and i would recommend getting hbo because hbo max will be out in a month right like that's good stuff uh, if you want that, Friends will be on there. If you don't like Friends, I don't like Friends at person, all. I don't like Friends. Fre- okay, Here, here's the thing, Friends. Uh, this is my contention, and you know, poo poo to you in the other room, wifey. <laughs> uh, friends would not be Friends if it were not for Seinfeld. Seinfeld made. Friends, the show that it is today, and I am absolutely right because Friends played after Seinfeld, and didn't start playing after Seinfeld until Seinfeld was just like a ridiculous hit that got more viewers than any other show in the world, and then Friends played right after it. Yeah, that's true. If it wasn't for Seinfeld, Friends wouldn't be popular. Well, Friends is just a single. If you want to be honest. I'm not disparaging friends i'm just saying that my argument is one simple thing no seinfeld no friends end of story yeah i i will say this friends is a ripoff of living single and it's not a good ripoff of living single living (laughs) single is a far better show well uh truthfully both of them just paved the way for how i met your mother which was better than either one of them so i've watched that show yet i heard heard i've heard it's good it's, it's really good. <laughs> it takes what Because I haven't watched the sitcom that I've liked in a wild. Okay. I've got one for you. It's sort of sitcom-y. Uh, the Good Place. Okay. I'll you, check that one you out. Want My daughter just funny. introduced me to The Office. Uh, You'll have to tell us about that one. I, I didn't like, like The Office. Okay. Well, I didn't like The American Office. You, you, I kind of like the uh, English you, one. You, you've, you're, the British one's great, too. It really is. The English one, you've got to get, you, like most sitcoms, you've got to get through the first couple seasons. You've got to get the character development. You've got to get the people in place. You've got to get through the initial things. And then they hit this, this thing. They get in a groove. And it just takes off after that. And I'm telling you, all the people, all of them, all of them in the office, you're like, I've seen that person. I've seen that person. I've seen, like, you'll, you'll hit every episode, just like Seinfeld. You'll hit it where you see, like, I know that person. I know that. Like, why have I, what is this person familiar in? You pull yeah. up IMDb and you're like, oh my gosh, it's that person that I've seen in 30 other things. So, like, The Office is the same way. It's great. It's subtle humor. It's not like, it's not like giggle. It's just, yeah, it's I like my humor that, where it doesn't make me laugh. I will say this. <laughs> it's, it's interesting watching The Office now since this is my first time watching it. 
and seeing people on there who I literally know, like Patrice O'Neal, like, oh, that's oh yeah. Patrice O'Neal. <laughs> and Steve Carell, like, oh, this is where he got to start it. So it's like a little bit eye-opening. Because yeah. now you see these guys kind of at the beginning of their career. Yes. And now they're huge stars. I'm like, so it's not looking back. Or dead. All these stars on one show? Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> so like... Once you get through all of this stretch of the office and you see its peaks and you see its valleys, then go to Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is the same thing. Set right here in beautiful Midwest Indiana. It's it's the same thing. Very low-key, subtle humor. Very funny. Great acting. Great character work in that film. So, like... Get, get through your office and then roll into Parks and Rec. And it's funny you should mention that because my daughter is watching Parks and Rec now. Uh, like, she watched all of the Office and like, Dad, you should watch this show. You'll like it. Yeah. And so she got watching the Office, and now while I'm watching the Office, she's watching Parks and Rec now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we live in Bloomington, Indiana, and you can see, and it's really I don't know who works on this show. There, there's a brewery that's in town, Upland Brewery. You can see subtle little references in this show for Upland Brewery, and it's the same thing in um, Ken's uh, move uh, TV show as well. You can see subtle little references for Upland Brewery within the Good Place. Yeah, um, just in the background, sitting on like a table. There's a um, like a pint glass for Upland Brewery, and it's right here in Bloomington, Indiana. So it's subtle little references for those throughout all of these NBC shows. So someone, some producer on there has got like the inside yeah. game with Indiana. Great, great beer if you like beer. That's cool. That's really cool. But I think that uh, I think that we've got plenty of time to watch some TVs. We'll have to reconvene and uh, shoot each other down on what we think is good and what we don't think is good. But uh, <laughs> we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us uh, for a spell, Delvin. And we can't wait to have you back on. And uh, and uh, it's uh, it's just it's a great time to be alive in pop culture. You know, just yeah, that is very true. Us a room and a TV with some internet access, and <laughs> we're good to go. Yeah, pop culture, yes. I don't know about everything else. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to focus on the positive. <laughs> but until next time, let us know what you think. Contact us on social media. Stop by the webpage. The webpage, by the way, should, by the time this episode airs, uh, be up and running with our ultimate comic movie database again we at the time of this recording have taken it down briefly to do some maintenance and goody installation stuff to to give uh, some new things a chance to shine that are going to be coming up here maybe in june or july can't wait to talk a little bit more about that but uh definitely let us know what you think and tell us what's your first music impressions what's your most uh favorite uh, television show that you are using to pass your time. We'd love to hear it. But until next time, be safe and keep watching. 